Shut up and sit down. Hi, I'm Corbin. And I'm Katie. And we are the, the Vagabonds. Two best friends adventuring through the world of lady stuff, one episode at a time. We don't give medical advice, and we don't seek for anyone other than ourselves. We're just recording conversations we'd be having at bars anyway. Well, we're back. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Man, that's a hell of a, hell of a way to start a conversation. We're back. We're back. We are. But we didn't go anywhere, according to I know. listeners. I know. That's why I thought it was sort of a stupid way to start a eh, show. I got to st- start writing writing stuff for myself. You guys <laughs> do what you do, and I will, I will hire a team of writers for myself. It's fine. It's winter again in Iowa. Yeah. It is. Ugh. You know what? This sucks. Yeah. I know. Like, every April, we're like, oh, it's... You know, horrible out. It's snowing, whatever. Yeah. Every single April this happens. I don't know why we don't get used to it. I don't but, uh, you know, yeah. here we are. It's, it just snowed an inch or so. And it should be continuing. And it's sad. Overnight. Yeah. So should we introduce our fourth compadre? So I that? thought she might yes. be interested in just being quiet no. while we talk about the weather. <laughs> uh, so we have Amy Dean with us. She is going to guest co-host or guest on this episode. So um, you'll find out kind of why she's on this episode in a little bit. But what's up, Amy? Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Amy, Amy wrote to us a while here. back. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and so that's why she's on the show. If you want to be on the show, you could write to us. Yeah, see, as easy as that. And you know, five months later, we will actually respond to you. Oh yeah, we're bad about that sometimes. Oops. Um. So I actually drove. Well, Amy, is it snowing where you are? It's not snowing. I'm in Wisconsin. You're so lucky. So I I was home this weekend, like at home at my parents' house, and I let when I left. I was like, the next time you see me, I'll be a doctor. Wow. That's crazy town. It is crazy. I can't um, believe it. I would like to issue a retraction, though, guys. Which is? <laughs> do we do, from our last do episode? We do that? Or maybe it was two episodes ago. I don't remember. I would like to retract my excitement for Roseanne. Oh, I was seriously going to ask you about this. <laughs> I'm so disappointed. Yeah, I was like, every time I like hear about it, I'm like, oh, I need to ask Corbin about that. Yeah, I just, it's, uh, yeah, it just doesn't make sense for Roseanne's character in my mind. I know. Like she was always super, like she was working class, but progressive. And yeah. anyway, so I'm issuing a retraction and just being a little heartbroken <laughs> about it. I read the... I read the, an article that where that news was broken. I don't know if it was the article, but but uh, not only did she sound like a Trump supporter, but she sounded completely clueless about being a supporter of our 45th president, like like unable to articulate why, why she was she, a supporter yeah. of the man. I did not read the article. I just so speaking of other things we talked about on this podcast. Roxanne Gay wrote a scathing review of it. Oh, yeah, in the and New York Times. has been excellent to watch that on Twitter. Oh. I just love Roxanne Gay on Twitter is like the best thing ever. We don't know if Amy is a Trump supporter. We, we should be careful. Because, <laughs> you know. I am not a Trump supporter. Woo! Oh, okay. Woo! No. That was close. Yeah, we're being we have rude a, and talking politics in front of guests. We have a, we have a strong uh, listener base among the Trump, uh, the Trump nation. So we got to be we? careful. Do we? No. Well, I am uh, the communication director for Women's March Wisconsin. So if that tells you anything oh, nice. about my politics. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, girl. Maybe a little. Okay, we're all about it. Yeah. Um, but before we start, can I tell you my one pet peeve thing of the day? Yeah. yeah. This has to do with driving through the snow. Okay. When you have inclement weather, uh-huh. whether it be rain or snow or whatever, turn your goddamn lights on. Yeah, that pisses me off. All you fancy ass people with your automatic lights in your cars because you drive a car that's newer than a 99 like me. (laughs) Sorry, we can't all be rich. (laughs) I know you forget that your lights have a function, but you can turn them on when it's raining and snowing outside. Do you know what I like about Katie, uh, Amy? Do you know what I like about (laughs) Katie? 
She's not at she's all. Honest. Yeah, well, she's not at all bitter, you know. Yeah, <laughs> she's not bitter. Even keeled. No, person. I feel my feelings when I feel them. This yeah. is how I keep from becoming emotionally constipated because you just gotta let it out. Can't bottle things up. So diarrhea of the emotions. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. That's Katie. Let's talk yeah. about what we're going to talk about. Okay, so... I think it has something to do with Amy. I think it does have something to do with Amy. So Amy um, wrote to us after our maternal mortality episode, because mm-hmm. uh, she has a really, really interesting story, and we would like her to share that story. So with that... She, she is a self-described ma- uh, maternal health advocate, so we're excited to hear about her story. Yeah, so take it away, Amy. Cool. Well, I got pregnant. Uh, <laughs> that was all great story start. Let's see, what year was that? 2015, yeah. I got pregnant. So excited. My husband and I were over the moon excited. I had a great pregnancy, really super healthy. I felt great. Um, and then maybe around six months or so in, I started swelling up. And my sister swelled up during her pregnancy, so I kind of thought it was normal. Well, then it escalated. Are we talking arms and legs or what are we talking about? Belly? Uh, at first it was arm. At first it was legs, yeah. feet, like typical pregnancy type things. Mm-hmm. And then moved to arms, hands, like to the point where my skin felt tight mm. and uncomfortable, even around my eyes and just places that I was like, this seems a little funky. So um, I was 29 weeks pregnant and I sent my doctor a message and told them I had what I considered significant swelling. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they unfortunately got back to me and said, well, we'll just check you when you're in next week. So literally going to be seven days from then. And at the time I was in Milwaukee, uh, but I live in the Madison area. So it's about an hour and a half commute. um, And I was going into Milwaukee like once a week or so. So I was not home. So, uh, I stayed at my sister's house that night and could not sleep because I had a horrible headache. Uh, I woke up and decided to kind of take things into my own hands and go to the pharmacy and get my blood pressure checked because I kind of knew a little about preeclampsia, like Mm -hmm. just enough to be, um, knowledgeable to say, let's get this checked. So my blood pressure was like, 190 over 113 Whew. and the pharmacist his face kind of turned white and he's like you need to get to a hospital so I was very upset I went to my sister's and just like cried it out and she had just had a baby as well so she took me her three-month-old and her four-year-old to oh the hospital gosh. that sounds like a good time <laughs> oh my gosh yeah <laughs> so I got admitted I had severe preeclampsia my sister told me this just recently, but she's had to ask the nurse to have me pee in a cup to check for protein in my urine. Like they didn't even do that <laughs> right away. So I don't get that. But anyway, they admitted me. I was in the hospital there for a couple nights. My husband came down obviously from where we live in outside of Madison and, um, things just kind of kept going and getting worse. And we realized that I was going to have to have the baby early, whether or not we wait till 35 weeks, we didn't know, but I wanted to be closer to home. So we took an ambulance to Madison to a hospital. I had no idea. I had you know, no clue if it was a great hospital. I just knew my insurance was going to be, uh, was going to cover it. So the ambulance ride was a nightmare. Like the kids driving basically were blaring music. I have super high blood pressure what like i just you know i'm like you guys i had to tell them to turn it down i just felt like there was a lack of awareness of how severe the situation was headed so i was on magnesium and that's why they had me in ambulance Mm -hmm. um for listeners out there magnesium helps to prevent um, you guys would know more than me, yeah. but most prevent seizures and things like that. I was in the hospital for a couple nights in Madison. Um, really, ha- I was very happy with the hospital. Like it was felt like it was the right fit for us. Um, there were some situations that I wish they would have handled differently. Like there was a nurse who 
didn't believe me that I was having contractions. Like I felt really concerned about some contractions that were happening. And she's like, well, it's just the baby's back. And I'm like, well, no, the baby's facing the other way. Can we just put the monitor back on me? And she's like, no, we'll just wait. So I was scared to death and, um, basically cried for a doctor to come in. So a resident came in and she said, you need to put the monitor back on her. Let's check it out. And the, the nurse resisted again and said, we just had it on her 10 minutes ago. And my husband said, no, you didn't. That was over an hour ago. So they finally put it back on. Sure enough, I was having contractions. Um, I was dilated. That you like <sighs> demanded to be heard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, all along the way, even just to get to this point, I had to kind of take matters into my own hands and say, look, something is not right. Like I, mm. my body is telling us something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then it actually developed into help syndrome. Mm -hmm. Um, and we can, you guys could explain that to the listeners once we talk about preeclampsia too, but that's a life threatening, um, kind of rare. It's becoming less rare, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, situation, but they, the only cure for help syndrome is to, uh, deliver the baby. So they moved me to a labor and delivery room. And I was feeling comfortable about that. Like I wanted to live for my baby. So I wanted the baby to come out. Mm. And I knew that at about 30 weeks, the baby has like a 97% survival rate. So I knew let's get the baby out and we can both be healthy. So they moved me to that room. The doctor came in and he was maternal fetal medicine doctor. He must not have read my chart because he said, we're going to, you know, try and keep the baby in you as long as we can. And I and the resident had to say, look, I have help syndrome. Like my platelets are dropping, my liver enzymes spiked, all of, all of that. And he had to, we basically had to remind him and he's like, Oh, okay. So then they finally induced me. (laughs) I had my baby, uh, vaginally, which is nice. And then, um, my blood pressure remained high for a long time. And I just was having panic attacks and kind of felt like I still wasn't exactly like, cared for the way I wanted to be cared for. Like I asked to stay another night cause I was having these like middle of the night visions of needing to go back on magnesium and all this stuff. Anyway, there wasn't really a lot of follow-up after I never had any kind of specific discussion about severe preeclampsia or help syndrome. Like help syndrome wasn't even in my chart. I had to remind them to put that in there. And I've had health issues like thyroid issues angioedema no answers, going to all sorts of doctors after. And, um, uh, one of the doctors even turned off the reply feature on me. Like, I think they, there must be something in my chart. Like she's, she's complicated. (laughs) Something in there that says like, she's hypochondriac, but really, I mean, I'm just trying to be my own advocate. And anyway, that's kind of like the summary of my situation. So, Let's go over the f- things that you mentioned you had. So we've talked a little bit about both of them, but just as a reminder. Yeah. Uh, we talked a lot about both of them, but just as a reminder, um, start with preeclampsia. Yeah. So preeclampsia is, um, was actually, as Amy said, um, and help too was more rare, but it's becoming more and more common. Um, condition associated with pregnancy it's basically um the official definition is high blood pressure with protein in the urine when you're pregnant um or i've just delivered so that can come with a number of things but basically the scary end of preeclampsia is eclampsia so eclampsia is basically seizures uh, a pregnancy that can lead to death. Mm. Um, and that's obviously big and scary. Uh, so preeclampsia has like a lot actually of a melu, if you will. And, um, severe the French. Yeah. We'll bring out, break out the French because we're doing serious topics. Um, so you can have, uh, Amy had severe preeclampsia. So, I mean, there are kind of different definitions for it, but you can define severe preeclampsia as just like, uh, even like a higher blood pressure. So blood pressure above it's like 160 over systolic or 110 maybe. Yeah, I think so. So if you have a blood pressure above that, 
you have severe preeclampsia, or if you have signs of what we call end organ damage. So a headache, a headache, severe headache, um, right upper quadrant pain. So like in the right upper quadrant of your abdomen. Yep. And that's, um, your liver basically is yeah. what we think about when you have your that. Liver's getting angry. Um, I can't remember the other one. Oh, vision changes. Vision changes. So that like, so the end organs we're talking about would be like your brain for headache, your liver for a right upper quadrant pain and eyes like retina. Neuro, for, yeah. And yeah. And your brain still for vision changes and then like dizziness and stuff like that, dizziness. which is also your brain. Yeah. And so, uh, signs of preeclampsia, things that you might like if you're pregnant, your doctor might ask you about are things like. Yeah, do you have a headache? A headache that won't go away with Tylenol or rest. Because lots of people get headaches, of course, but these are like severe headaches. Um, they check your blood pressure at every visit for this reason. Um, do you have uh, changes in your vision? Do you have the right upper quadrant pain? Also, um, something... Swelling is what we should talk about. Yeah, too. swelling. Um, Amy mentioned her really bad swelling that she had. But also, um, just like not feeling well, flu-like symptoms can kind of also be a sign of preeclampsia, actually, that um, a lot of people don't recognize. Like if you just start to feel crappy yeah. for no reason. Yeah. Um, but back to so swelling, like... Like Amy said, pregnant people swell, and that's like a thing that happens usually later in pregnancy. But swelling and preeclampsia is swelling that doesn't go away with rest. So like a normal pregnant person should, their feet might swell, but when they sit down and put their feet up at the end of the day, the swelling should go down. But if you're waking up with swelling in the morning, that's abnormal. Or if your hands are getting swollen, that's abnormal. That's not something that should happen to like a regular healthy pregnant person. And it sounds like... Amy's right Amy it sounds like your symptoms were so severe that you could actually like feel your skin tight you know tightening right. that, yeah that would yeah. be very uh yeah. that would be very scary yeah that's definitely yeah. abnormal but you know as a first time you know as my first time being pregnant you don't you just don't know what's normal right and right and yeah. I right. think the best thing to do is just ask and call yeah, yeah for sure Magne so Corbin talked about eclampsia is the seizures that are associated with preeclampsia so the reason Amy said she was on magnesium so magnesium helps lower the chance of getting eclampsia but it's obviously like not a hundred percent and so um the same thing that's true of help syndrome is true well this is like so confusing to me actually so delivery of the placenta is like the quote-unquote treatment for preeclampsia yeah but confusingly you can develop preeclampsia after you deliver so it's like kind of a preeclampsia is one of these diseases that we like definitely don't know enough about and there's yeah. tons of research being done but it sucks because the people who are having research done on them are people who have it and so it, you know yeah it just sucks it's just all around bad yeah right now like the leading idea is that it has to do with abnormal placentation so there's something wrong with the placenta and that's why uh women develop it there's a number of risk factors mm -hmm. for preeclampsia like extremes of age so like someone who's young and is pregnant or older and is pregnant someone who's um pregnant with a new partner someone who um is multiple gestations which means like twins or triplets yeah twins someone who's had it before obviously has someone, a higher risk of yeah. having it again someone with um regular hypertension or gestational hypertension in their life so high blood pressure normally right uh so yeah so sorry amy you're a you're a high risk if you mm -hmm. have another pregnancy <laughs> i'm sure you already know that yeah yeah. yeah, especially yeah, since she developed help syndrome. Yeah. So then we'll talk about help syndrome. So help syndrome is a separate syndrome, but very, very closely related to preeclampsia. So it literally stands for, so it's H-E-L-L-P. It stands for hemolysis, elevated liver enzymes, low platelet count. So that's like the H-E-L-L-P. So it's exactly what it says. So you get hemolysis, which is where your bread blood cells are breaking down um, <clears throat> and you're getting the proteins that are inside the red blood cells normally are spilling into your blood and your red blood cells have a lot of lactic acid in them. So you're also getting an acidosis from that spilling into your blood. 
you get elevated liver enzymes. This is what we were talking about with like the right upper quadrant pain because your liver is basically angry. You're in hepatitis, inflammation of the liver. And so your liver enzymes start to go up and then a low platelet count. So um, your platelets start to um, basically they aggregate, right? You're in DIC essentially. You can be in DIC eventually. I think it's a functional. Yeah. Well, no. Mm, I think they aggregate. They start aggregating or they like are going out of your. It's not DIC, but yeah. yeah. Anyway. Okay. So anyway, what we're saying is your platelets are low, not because you're not making enough of them, but because something in your body is causing them to like be sequestered somewhere and they're not working. So you're at like way higher risk of like bleeding out, which sucks, right? Because if you're going to deliver a baby, then you're also at high risk of bleeding. You're already bleeding a lot during delivery. It's very dangerous. Um, and obviously, like Amy said, this is like a very deadly disease potentially. Uh, and she's correct. The only di- the only treatment is to deliver. So Amy, you uh, had a rough time with the healthcare system. And that's something that interests me. Um, and And in fact, one of the things, you know, like I sort of keyed into one of the things that you said, which is, you know, when you were, when you were in the ambulance, the, the kids, uh, <laughs> who were transporting you were, you know, uh, perhaps, uh, uh, treating you with less or treating the situation with, with less gravity than you felt was appropriate. Right. Yeah. yeah so I'll say that I do not want to be negative towards healthcare providers. Yeah. I'm not bashing them. I think they're amazing people. I could never do what you guys do. And you, you got like healthcare professionals. They saved my life. They saved my daughter's life. I think systematically there's an issue with communication and listening to patients and patients also need to feel empowered to say, this isn't right. I know my body well. And we have, as a patient, you have a responsibility to express your concerns to your doctor. So I want, I think it's coming. It needs to come from both sides. You're, you're totally right because it's so, I find myself, you know, when I, when I'm in a situation where I, you know, like in it, like when you're a doctor, when you're a patient being seen by a doctor, you know, you expect them to know things and if I feel like I'm not getting the right uh, feedback or treatment or or whatever, I might just roll over and be like, okay, well, he or she knows best and my job is to shut up. You know what I'm saying? Which is not the right way to do it. And I'm glad that you, in your situation, you know, sort of stepped up and said, no, this is not right. But I do, I do feel, I do, I do understand what you felt in the ambulance because I remember, you know, I was very sick a long time ago and, uh, and uh, I was in the ICU and (laughs) I was like, people were like wandering around, like talking about, you know, sort of everyday things and, you know, while they were in the room with me and all this kind of stuff. And I felt like, what are you people doing? Why do I, you know, like, I don't want to hear about your, your kids baseball game i'm you know kind of in a miserable place right here so i I get that it's a different situation but i kind of get yeah yeah i was like i felt so scared that i was gonna lose my daughter or myself and they're just like blaring the music making jokes and i'm like i have a great sense of humor but i am (laughs) very scared right now right yeah (laughs) right i think it's like this this awareness that needs to be had. And right now it's really cool. It's an exciting time because maternal health care is a huge part of the national conversation right now. Like it's mm-hmm. growing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we'll get there. Yeah. Was your husband in the ambulance with you? No, he was riding behind me. Yeah. So that's also terrifying because I'm sure, you know, you're alone in an ambulance and it's like so scary. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I know that's the thing that like Corbin and I have talked about uh quite a bit is like the fact that for us it's an everyday occurrence you know mm-hmm. like having someone in labor you know whatever but for them this is like a once in a lifetime type deal and it's like very hard it's easy to lose sight of that when you work there every single day but yeah it does kind of just take listening to your patients and like 
and paying and paying attention to to what you know to what they're feeling and what their what their understanding of the situation is and and uh, yeah there were a few occasions like that um during that time for me and i so i totally totally get it yeah and i think amy i mean this is something that i uh gathered from your you know your story and i think probably you might you know seems like you know a lot about the the maternal mortality conversation going on and what but from what i've read in you know all the news articles about you know serena williams and all the women who have died um in childbirth recently or from you know pregnancy related causes there's that underlying theme of you know we knew something was wrong and you know our healthcare providers maybe brush us off a little bit or you know like in serena williams cases she pushed for her cat scan and they found a you know an embolus in her lungs Mm -hmm. and i don't know if you can comment about you know what is your what are your goals for spreading awareness i guess about these issues yeah i so for people who are kind of new to this topic the united states is um we're just not doing a great job like more women in the united states die from complications related to pregnancy than in any other developed country Mm -hmm. and i think once i went through this i realized i realized that like i didn't understand that our maternal health care wasn't providing really what women need to have a healthy, safe childbirth. And what really pisses me off the most is that there's inequalities within that. So like a black woman is three to four times more likely to die in childbirth than a white woman. I'm white. And that just pisses me off. Like, I think that's why I'm doing what I'm doing because it's just not right. We need to fix it. Yeah. yeah. And um, NPR and ProRepublica have some amazing research um, that they're like bringing to the national level. Um, they're the ones who kind of came up with that number, I believe. But um, mm-hmm. for folks who want to get involved, like just start researching and understanding what people are doing. But I mean, March of Dimes has joined in on this. They've launched a new campaign to get um, the health health crisis like in the face of the United States and California has totally led the way on reducing maternal mortality. Like they have a California maternal quality care collaborative that has Mm -hmm. done amazing work and have all these toolkits for professionals to look at. And yeah, they're doing such um, cool things. Yeah. It's amazing. And then there's, um, a new report that came out. It's a nine maternal mortality review committee that came out with a report and they estimated that like 60, was it 63% of pregnancy related deaths are preventable. Hmm. So that is huge. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, and I, I mean, I can't thank you enough for, you know, doing what you do in the sense of, you know, trying to spread the word just because when I think about this, the rising maternal mortality rate in the U S and as a future OB very soon to be OBGYN, <laughs> like extremely soon OBGYN <laughs> it, to me, it's our national shame. It's, it drives me crazy. Every story I read in the news, I just need to know, you know, I need to know why. And it can just be so frustrating. And it takes a lot of these, you know, news institutions like NPR and ProPublica basically, you know, telling people. Holding the system's feet to the fire, Yeah, holding it accountable and, you know, showing, you know, that and also making it, saying that this is an important issue. You know, I think sometimes we, as a society, we live in a sexist society and sometimes we don't take women's issues as seriously. Well, and and that's part of what Amy was was experiencing I, I i sense from her from her description of the problem there was that people weren't taking at times weren't taking her discomfort her symptoms her um i don't know her intuition mm-hmm. about the situation seriously and you know for whatever reason we don't do a very good job of that sometimes um in, with various people with yeah. various groups of people, which yeah. is, you know, strange. Like it's not that strange. I well <laughs> I know, but you know, like it's it, stupid. Right. Yeah. 
anyway. I got you. Yeah. Dan. Well, okay. So one of my, I guess, personal goals to answer that question is to, um, well, I started, uh, it's very small, but an online community it's on Facebook, maternal health advocates. Um, basically we're just like an online community of moms and, and their families who are spreading the word. But the, my main goal is to contact, get these folks to contact their members of Congress and call them and say, look, there's two bills right now introduced to the house and the Senate. They're bipartisan. Um, and basically they're meant to establish or improve maternal mortality review committees within the States. And those committees do and will examine maternal death cases and identify like ways to prevent future deaths and improve outcomes. So I don't think people really understand that they have the power to like call their Congress people and write them or meet them even in person and say, look, these are bills that I want you to sign. I'm your constituent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's on that, that Facebook group, I have sample letters, sample like phone scripts, um, of what you can say. Mm. Yeah, awesome. So can you access the, those even if you're not in the group? Um, I, I can, yes, I think so. Okay. Otherwise, okay, cool. if not, I'll figure out a way to yeah, do it. We can link to that. And so our listeners can go and do the same, yeah. fill, out, fill out the letters and things. Yeah. That would be amazing. Yeah. And also, um, you know, uh, definitely go and read about the bills that Amy has on the Facebook, but also, um, we talked about how we don't know a lot about preeclampsia and that is for a reason because a lot of these historically, this type of research hasn't been prioritized right. from um, a funding perspective, fun, from a funding perspective. Um, so funding is scientific funding is largely, you know, due, from the government and or um, pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical companies, companies, which can't which make money off problems. of this. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Yeah. Magnesium sulfate can't be patented yeah. <laughs> anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing that I was going to say is. I, like I said earlier, like good for you guys for speaking up, but also shame on the people that were caring for you that you had to like one of the things that I try to tell my patients or like my family members who are patients is like the doctor isn't going to know anything if you don't tell them, but also as a physician, you're not going to know anything unless you ask your patient and or listen to them. Yeah. Or listen to them. And the other thing that I hear a lot from like people in the hospital is like, well, but I'm right. But even if you're right about the diagnosis, but your patient doesn't understand why you know that, then you haven't done your job because your job is also education. And if you're not educating your patient as to the fact that you are listening to them and that you are taking their symptoms into like into view, even if they don't feel like you are, then you haven't done your job yet. And you have to tell them and explain to them why it is the way it is. Right. I don't know. And yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it takes two seconds to be like, I'm not worried about this because X, Y, and Z. Right. Or we'll run, I hear your concern, so we're going to run this test, you right. know? Yeah. I did actually, um, at my six-week postpartum, talk to my OBG about why they weren't concerned about my swelling mm -hmm. um, enough for me to just get like looked at or pee in a cup or get my blood pressure checked. And she said, um, you know, hindsight's 2020, yeah. obviously, yeah. but I only checked like one of the boxes of what a preeclampsia patient looks like. So, you know, I'm fit. It was my first pregnancy. That's the only checkbox I had. Mm. Yeah. But obviously there's, I have a lot of friends now actually like three that have had preeclampsia and they don't also, they probably only check that one box as well. Yeah. So it happens. Well, that's the thing. It's becoming more common and we don't know why. And, you know, we need to figure out why, but also it needs to be, it needs to become, so, you know, the saying when you hear hoof, hoof beats, think horses, not zebras. Like, I think it needs to become a horse and not a zebra. Like it is common enough that we should be thinking of it all the time. Well, edge cases are a bitch, I think, because, you know, first of all, um, when you're wrong about edge cases, like, like preeclampsia was in the past, mm -hmm. um, for many groups, the consequences can be devastating. Yeah. 
But when edge cases slowly over time morph into more common cases, they're not going to be top of mind for a long time. And medicine changes slowly. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've talked about it on the show before. Medicine changes slowly and, and, and there's a reason it changes slowly. I mean, it's very conservative as a profession. It's very conservative in terms of, you know, what new evidence we take into account, what new, we, I'm just a guy. Why do I keep saying we, I keep calling, I keep thinking I'm a doctor. Anyway, the point of the point that the thing that I've noticed is that it's slow to change. And so, um, you know, that's, that's one reason why these things happen. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting too, because I think sometimes we don't stop and think, what if I do just run that, you know, test, like what's it going to hurt? Like running, having you pee in a cup and checking the protein is not that big of a deal. It's, you know, not going to have an impact on the, like the healthcare system. Right. right. To, you it know, it's like $10 or less. And like it's not going to hurt you to run that test. It's only going to help you to run that test. Right. So, but it is in conflict with all the other messages we get right. about yeah. healthcare these days. Like right. that is true. You know, we run too many tests and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. well, that's the thing. Defensive medicine. And is that like, I feel like our generation is being better taught. Like, the cost of oh my god there's a spider right there (laughs) (laughs) awesome anyway Dave you sold this house sorry um, I'm gonna burn the house down for you (laughs) our uh I feel like our generation is like I mean it's start we're definitely not like they didn't do a great job but they're starting to do a better job of being like this is the criteria that you use to see if you need to run a CT which is expensive but, you know, also a CBC costs like $100, but a urine protein costs like $10, you know. And so I think when you start to see more costs associated with things from a provider point of view, then it becomes easier to like see where it's like OK to put your money and where it's like we should do more things before yeah. we put our money into something that costs $1,000. We're putting all of our money into running tests in the ER, as I've learned. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing an yeah. ER rotation and it's ER right now. like... I'll, I'll present my plan to the doctor and then it'll be like, and we're going to do X, Y, and Z tests. I'm like, why? (laughs) (laughs) But also the other, I mean, the other thing that we're told a lot in med school is do your physical exam. Your physical exam is well, not free, but it's the cost of a copay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a lot cheaper than doing a test. And you know, it's more free than a physical, a history. Yeah, that too. (laughs) And that's the one thing. I mean, that's the irony of it all. We're so we're taught in medicine that you get 80% of your diagnosis from a history and a physical. Yeah. And we're not always listening to our patient, which is the history. Yeah. Like that is how, I mean, and like in this case, yes, like a physical exam could have alerted you to like, you know, sooner to a diagnosis right yeah mm-hmm. so yeah anyway and maybe even just the sight of you right exactly oh yeah. yeah yes i we were literally my coworkers and i were laughing about how i looked like the nutty professor like <laughs> of my phone because on my phone of my feet my coworkers like i have to take a picture of your feet they were like coming out of my shoes mm. yeah cool. yeah it's crazy how much swelling you can have But yeah, so do you want to tell us the end of your story? How's your daughter doing now? Yeah, so um, I haven't talked about June at all. So I think a lot of the times we are focused so much on the kid, on the baby, and Mm -hmm. that's great. But let's do both. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about June a little bit. So June had spent six weeks in the NICU. How many weeks was she when she was born? She was 29 weeks, five days. She was born at two pounds, four ounces. She had IUGR, which is an uterine Mm. growth restriction. And so that's why she was so tiny, two pounds, four ounces. But, um, she did a really great in the NICU. Like God, that NICU is amazing. The staff there's amazing. They took phenomenal care of June. Mm. Um, so we were so thankful for that, but, um, she's almost two, she'll be two on May 4th and she's spunky and feisty and healthy. And she's only gotten sick like once. Wow. So yeah, she's doing great. She even, I even was able to breastfeed her, which is kind of a miracle. Yeah. Hey, I'm all about those May babies. I'm a May May baby too. Yay. (laughs) And do you want to say how you're doing since this all happened? Yeah, good. So, um, 
let's see, about six months after I had June, I was still kind of going through some postpartum depression, baby blues type stuff. So Mm -hmm. something else I didn't mention is my mom was also going through breast cancer at that time. So it was a crazy stressful time in my life. So my mom, I have pictures of my mom in June in the NICU where my mom's wearing a scarf on her head. Mm-hmm. And going through chemo, and my daughter's in a isolate in the NICU. So, yeah, it was crazy. Really I, I kind of look back and think, like, that can't be my life. That wasn't real. Yeah. But um, I actually sought help. Like, I needed to sit down and talk to a therapist. So, I had a counselor, and um, I just met with her like once every couple weeks. And it really helped me. I only did it for a few months, but I just want women to know that, like, there's no shame in that. Yeah, if yeah. you're feeling sad, you need to tell somebody because yeah. I think like 80% of new moms get the baby blues mm-hmm. after yeah. they deliver. So I did. My sister did. Yeah, and yeah. you just kind of fight through and not be afraid to get some help. So I'm doing great now. Good. I'm so we're in a great place. I'm feeling good. So awesome. there was a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> good. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. That sounds great. Yeah, and I think as far as like either baby blues or postpartum depression goes, I think like I can't say for sure because I'm not a mom and I've never been through postpartum depression, but I think sometimes people tell you like, oh, this is supposed to be such a happy time. Like, why aren't you just like so happy? Yeah. And it shames people into thinking that like there's something wrong with them when, yeah. like you said, it's totally normal to. This is why it's your, it's your hormones, you know, like that's a scientific thing, you know? But as a corollary to that, if I could piggyback on that idea a little bit, I think that parents who, who only talk about the good stuff about parenting do a disservice to everybody in a way because parenting and becoming a parent, you know, like making that transition is really hard. And it's, it can sometimes be miserable. And so when Christine and I, you know, people were like, people would say things to Christine and I like, oh, do you, do you, you probably don't even remember what it was like before you had your, your baby. And we'd be like, yeah, we did. We had freedom, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we were, you know, we, we were well slept, you know, we were well fed, you know? <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I think it's okay to talk about the heart, the difficult stuff. Oh, absolutely. I feel so lucky that I had an older sister who went through it before me. And, you know, she had some really strong baby blues after her firstborn Mm -hmm. and she never talked about it. My mom and I never talked about it with her. We just, it's just a thing that we didn't even know that Mm -hmm. she was going through. She didn't even know she was going through it. She just felt like, why don't I love my baby the way I'm supposed to? But Literally your hormones are screwing with, your brain yeah. and she you know she's doing amazing now that baby is uh six years old and Aww. she's got a little brother who's two so mm-hmm. they're doing awesome but I think it's just should not be taboo to talk about and I've done that with my girlfriends who get pregnant I'm like so excited for them you don't want to be negative you never want to be like hey it's yeah. gonna suck <laughs> yeah but I want to be like look if you feel sad at all after you have a baby it's okay. Like it every, a lot of people have that. Yeah. And don't be yeah. afraid to say something about it. And don't give into the pressure to be all Pollyanna about the whole situation. Yeah. Yeah. Really. yeah. So I'm actually on a rotation right now called women's wellness. It's a psych rotation at Iowa, but it's basically like the psych department, but it's for all the things that we deal with in OBGYN. So like, um, postpartum depression, baby blues, postpartum psychosis, um, you know, medical management or psych management of psych meds during and after pregnancy and like pre-pregnancy planning and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's, I will probably do an episode about it at the end of this rotation, but it's like very cool to see it from the, I think it, I think it's like a really good thing for me to be taking as a future OBGYN and it's like to know what to look for and recognize and like when to refer. Um, but yeah, like, like Amy said, like counseling is a great way to like work through those feelings. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it just takes a few sessions, honestly, to like be able to say what you need to say without fear of judgment that can really help. A lot better than holding it in and pretending. Yeah. You got to feel your feelings when you feel them. Got to feel them when you feel them. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Now we have completed the circle. Good job. (laughs) Yes. Uh, 
Uh, Amy, do you have anything else you'd like to tell our listeners? Yeah, I want to just give a little shout out to the Preeclampsia Foundation. They're awesome. They're doing a ton of work in this as well. And they have a conference coming up in October Ooh. in the Chicago area. And I will be there. Oh, nice. Nice. That would cool. be exciting. Yeah. Um, and Amy wrote a really nice um, article about her experience. So if you want to read that, we'll be posting it in the show notes. It's really good. I was like falling when I was reading it. Cause <laughs> oh, I was just like thanks. so moved. But yeah. Yeah, you can get that at thevagabonds.com. Yeah. Uh, should we pl- do our game, Corbin? Oh, yeah. I guess. Okay. First, we have a question for you, Amy. Okay. Did you play an instrument in high school <laughs> or middle yes. school? You yes. did. Okay. okay, we have to guess Who? it. Okay, I have to guess it. Um. Hmm. Wow. Okay, technically two, but one of them, I don't wouldn't even count it. So, okay. well, but it, so but one of be- them's the piano. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. What? what? Um, that might be the first time we've gotten one right. It is the first time we've gotten one right. <laughs> that's the instrument people play when they say it doesn't count. Yeah. Oh no, that's the one that counts. Oh. Oh, oh okay. So the second one is. Ooh, this is hard. A gu- mm, I don't know. Is it? You think it's guitar, Katie? Yeah, I, I think know. it's guitar. Really? No. I feel like that's what people say. Well, because we said band, and so I feel like people don't count that as a band instrument. I mean, it's not, but. Anyway, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's totally a guitar. Yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, I did like one year of electric guitar lessons. That's and cool. I, I, I played um, these boots are made for walking at my high school talent show. And yes. Yeah. Awesome. I did not win that one. That's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, okay, before we hang up, I have to say thank you all for what you do. Like, I uh-huh. just love that people are having conversations about this. And also thank you for being doctors. Cause that is just, it blows my mind that people can help save lives and just do it on a daily basis. Yeah. Well, well thank you. It kind of blows our minds too. We're not, <laughs> yeah. we're not ready. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it. You're going to be amazing. Uh, yeah. Know. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Yeah. This is awesome. It's really meaningful to have you tell us about it. Great. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Well, should we, do you want to do a fallopian file, Amy? I told yeah. you about it. Okay. 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 Yeah. That's fine. Um, on the NPR site, and it's called Lost Mothers, Maternal Mortality in the U.S. There's like a ton of amazing stuff on there. Yeah. So we'll post that in our show notes too. So that'd be cool. great. Yeah. I've read those too. They're very good. Uh, who wants should I go next? I sure. don't know what mine is. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> See, this is, we prepare. Yeah, Amy. we prepare so much. We prepare for the show. <laughs> Actually, the Sawbones this week is really good. Oh, yeah. Actually, that is true. So Sawbones, I already talked about its medical history. Uh, But the one this week is about uh, the secret life of doctors is what it's called. And it's about what doctors do when we're not in the room with the patient. And it's kind of like all the other stuff that we have to do besides the actual like face to face encounter. Yeah. yeah, So it kind of. uh, So, I mean, Sydney is a is a family practice physician and so yeah. she just mostly does outpatient and then covers an inpatient floor so it's not exactly what corbin and i do but it's pretty similar so uh anyway it's really good it was it's a really fun one but yeah that's well mine. i'll go next if you're yeah dave you can go next I'm i want to i want to call out uh terry gross's interview with madeline albright mm. earlier oh, this I week i saw you post about this holy crap I mean, I did not come away with, I'm not sure that I came away with a hopeful feeling about America because it was all about um, the rise of fascism in the 21st century. Um, Many nations that were once uh, not fascist nations or not uh, under the grip of a fascist uh, regime are sort of moving in that direction, including, some would argue, the United States of America. Um, Madeline Albright did a really great job um, talking with uh, Terry Gross about uh, that situation. You should definitely go and listen to it um, because the last thing you want to do in a situation where we're moving in that direction is ignore it. Uh, So that's my fallopian files. Oh, man. 
Corbin's caught up short. I'm new brake pads. <laughs> That's what my car needs. No. Yeah. <laughs> That's my fallopian file. Mechanics. Yeah. Having Corbin's fresh. fallopian files is for your local mechanic. No, it's for her best friend's it's for husband. My best friend's husband, who's going to change my brakes. Oh. Uh, I would. I don't. Gosh. Wow. I just. I'm a creature of habit, so I've been watching the new season of Southern Charm. Oh, That's God. not my fallopian file. <laughs> <laughs> I don't encourage people to watch that. Like, I definitely don't. Sorry. It's also not Roseanne either. It's also, I'm not watching Roseanne anymore either. I'm, I'm looking at your history. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's okay if you don't have yeah, one. You don't oh, have actually, one. well, for Whoa. Spanish speakers. I have one for Spanish speakers. Ooh. So there's a podcast called Radio Ambulante. It's basically like This American Life, but for Spanish speakers and the world of people who speak Spanish, basically. Cool. And it's really good. So if you speak Spanish, you can read the translations of it. But um, I found that it's like there's a kind of a new wave of really good podcasts in Spanish. So that's kind of exciting for mm. if you want to. I am a... I speak uh, Spanish as a second language, so I always try to find ways to keep up my Spanish skills. So if you want to hear some... And it's by Daniel Alarcón, who is a really good writer, and he's won many... I can't think of what his most recent book is. It's, But anyway, he's a really good author, and he just recently published a book that I can't remember the name of. But anyway, so Radio Ambulante, it's where you get your podcasts. All right. We'll, of course, put a link to the show notes to some of these things. Yeah. Yep. All right, Amy, thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. It was a blast. <laughs> oh, good. Good. We are glad. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, you guys can contact us through all the stuff in the show notes. Right. Yay. But send us an email. Yes. Yeah, send us an email, just like Amy did. Yeah. Yeah. And you might end Woo. up on the podcast. And you yeah. might end up on the podcast. We'll we'll definitely talk about what you wrote to us. Wrote about. to us about. Um, we'll give you some on air love. Yeah. We'll yep. keep it clean. <laughs> uh, but yeah, definitely write to us. Um, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yep. Bye. 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 Bye.